BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Former President Donald Trump may be arrested. And we are we will talk about that and the Ukraine and Biden family kickbacks. And if we have time, some other stuff. And we'll get to the Trump arrest looming arrest right after these important messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, uh, Victor, the news is broken over this weekend that the Manhattan DA, Alan Bragg, and a grand jury will likely indict Donald Trump for the uh, Stormy Daniels alleged hush money, the thing that's been been hanging around for years. Michael Cohen is involved in this, Trump's kind of sketchy former lawyer. Trump has said that if he is indeed uh, to be arrested, he will not fight. There are questions of will he have to do a perp walk? Will there be handcuffs? Will Trump himself on his social media platform is calling for protests. And Victor, this is set against the backdrop of two things. One, Alan Bragg in Manhattan, he's the Manhattan DA, refusal to prosecute any number of real crimes that have plagued uh, the city of New York, and also the Biden family Corleone kickbacks that they seem to be yeah. getting from China. Uh, it's uh, I mean, scandalous uh, in my view. But Victor, what's your view? My view is that the left is getting on very thin ice. It's getting, We're getting to dangerous territory because the asymmetry is so flagrant and so dangerous to the republic that who knows what's going to happen. You remember 1998 when Bill Clinton was in the middle of the Lewinsky mess and right. it, it entered that his team went to Monica and said, I'll tell you what, if you shut up, 
we'll give you a Revlon job in New York. And they set it up. And she was whining that I think, I don't know what it paid, 80 grand. And she thought it did not pay enough. But the point I mean is it was a bribe that was offered her to keep her silent. Was that Vernon? I can't remember his last name. Jordan. Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan, right. He was he was the African-American fixer for Clinton. And he 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 set the deal up. No one said a word. I mean, it came up during the impeachment, but that was not one of the counts of impeachment. So my point is that it, it's just so asymmetrical. We don't do that. It, it would be like right now, it would be right now as if Donald Trump had won the 2020 election and there's not a statute of limitations on sexual, sexual assault. And he would have got some kind of federal indictment out of, from Bill Barr to go after Joe Biden for sexually assaulting Tara Reid as a federal employee, right? And that this was a federal matter, something like that, just to right. go after Biden to eliminate him. And he, that would be a lot more. Stormy Daniels never alleged that she was raped, that she was sexually assaulted. She, she just said that, and I don't know where, I thought the statute of limitations on state laws was two years. But I mean, this is seven years ago. Or further, she she alleges, or more, much more back in history, she alleges that she had a sexual liaison, and then Michael Cohen gave her some money to keep quiet about it, right? And then she hooked up with Michael Avenetti, I guess, and he didn't keep quiet about it, and right. she broke she broke the non disclosure, and now Michael Cohen, you know, it was obviously an effort to keep keep her quiet. I guess they can call it non disclosure, and then when they went after him. He was a sleazeball, and he flipped to get a lighter sentence. So if that goes to trial, they're going to put him on the stand, and they're going to say, have you ever been arrested? Yes. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Yes. Are you giving states evidence to lessen your own uh, sentence and incarcerate? Yes. Uh, did you ever object at all when this happened? When, when did you start to object? Only when he was indicted, right? And so that's not going to be a credible witness. And Trump will probably beat it. And then we enter the politics of it. Now, does this make Trump more popular to the base, maybe? Or do the Republican constituency say, I just can't, they get in a fetal position, say, I can't take it any longer. Kind of like that guy in, what was that movie, True Romance? Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just said, I can't take this any longer when he's in that room and they're ready to shoot everybody. But the point I'm making is uh, I thought the left thought that even though the polls in the preliminary stages favor Trump, that the greater existential threat to their progressive agenda was Ron DeSantis. So I didn't think they'd indict him. This is what I was thinking three months ago, because uh, it would it would either do one of two things. It would either empower DeSantis uh, if he's indicted or it would get, make him a victim. But it wasn't a good thing to get into. But, I, you know, the hatred is such that they, they've got three indict. They've got the special counsel and they've got the Georgia phone call. The funny thing about it all is that it's all asymmetrical. I don't know how they would indict him on the documents when he's president of the United States. And has the right to declassify them when you have a vice president who's got boxes and all these residents. Are they going to invite? It's just so flagrant that it's 
it's just really eerie. The United States is, it's sort of like Colombia or Venezuela. It's just, it's bizarre. And it's, it's the country's, it doesn't exist like it used to. Right. And, and so I, I don't know the politics, whether it hurts Trump or helps Trump, but I thought the Democrats were afraid of Ron DeSantis. They went after him on his statement. Uh, that was pretty good, I thought. And, you know, he said the word territorial dispute. And I'm thinking, well, what was the dispute about then? It wasn't it about territory? <laughs> you know, they went crazy about that line. I thought it's about territory. It's about the Donbass and Crimea. You and I will talk about that. But uh, well, I don't I don't I don't think it's going to hurt Trump. Right. Well, um, there are. He did call on his social um, uh, media platform, did call for protests on, we're assuming Tuesday there'll be an arrest or sometime this week. So, uh, you know, there could be some drama out there, Victor, that changes the dynamics in one well, way they, or the, another. Well, the, uh, the left has sent a message. I don't think there will be because the left has sent a message to the United States. And the message that the left sent was this. If you go out for 120 days and you burn down, blow up, destroy a federal courthouse, a police precinct, a historical church, and try to kill the president, storm the White House grounds, and you commit $2 billion in damage, and you kill 35 to 40 people, and you injure 1,500 police officers, and you loot and commit arson, these are going to be infractions. You're going to get off. But if you demonstrate on behalf of Donald Trump and there is any resistance, you could be shot. You could sit in solitary and that, that's going to be a deterrent. So I don't know where they would assemble to protest, but right. I don't think Donald Trump should have done that. But if they go into Washington, I think that they'll call out the army and they want this to happen. Right. They would love they would love to say Donald Trump is now he's the real insurrectionist. He shouldn't have done that. Yeah, the day uh, the day Bragg was elected district attorney was was also the day of the presidential election and where he he represents Manhattan. And we should remember that on in November of 2020, stores were were putting uh, boarding up their windows in Manhattan, anticipating possibly Trump might win and there would be riots. Not from the conservatives, but from the left. So this is the this the is whole the, thing uh, is a circle. The whole yeah. thing is a circle. You have Maxine Waters today saying he's trying to stir up another insurrection. This is a woman that got on, uh, went out into to a mob and said, "If you see any of these Trump cabinet officials, get in their faces, follow them to the store, gas station, calling for violence against them." So uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because I think a lot of people are stunned that the country that they knew and they felt at least that jurisprudence was symmetrical and they see it's just so haywire and warped. And they're going to see this in three indictments, that phone call to Georgia and that crazy woman that was on the Georgia grand jury that went around and blabbed about how much she hated Trump and giggled. And that was, that right. just showed you the caliber of, of intellect of the people on that grand jury. And then, then you have this special counsel who's got, you know, his wife's got ties with the Obamas. He's not neutral. 
And he's going to, they keep saying is going, most special counsels have to come up with something, either by leaking or, or an actual indictment. But when he does, if he were to do that, then everybody's going to ask, is he going to do it to, to, to Biden? And so, and I think the left feels so emboldened, Jack. I think they're gonna, their attitude is, well, we're going to make a crime out of a prominent politician either offering some incentive or paying person uh, a contract not to talk about an embarrassing situation. I don't know. I guess Michael Cohen did this in 2015, seven, you know, seven years ago, but the actual incident was way back. Right. So, and there's no, and that would have, they'd have to convict half of the politicians in Washington for that. They really would. I mean, it's pretty clear that Joe Biden took an aide, Tara Reid, and he digitally penetrated her because she not only told other people at the time that happened, her mother called into a talk show and said, what will I do when a prominent U.S. senator has sexually assaulted my daughter? I don't know if that was to Larry King show or somewhere like that. And right. my point is that there's a record of that. And there is not, I don't think there's a statute of limitation on sexual assault. And no, no, are they going to, is that what we're going to get down to? And I don't know where this is all going, but it reminds me of a Latin American junta. And that's what the Biden administration is sort of like. It's, and then we just, we just, these people, I mean, this Kareem John Pierre says the border's secure. And to the degree it's not, it's because of Donald Trump. And then Mallorca says, yes, the border's secure. And the, you have these pictures of people swarming across. It doesn't, it's just surreal. It's Orwellian. Yeah. These people are revolutionaries. I don't think we should use the word woke anymore. These are Marxists. Joe Biden, I don't know what he is because he's non-compos mentes, but these people are Marxists. And they believe yeah. in any means necessary to change the United States. They want to make it into a Marxist country. And everything they touch turns to dross. They have the on Midas touch. Touch the border. Mm -hmm. Touch the energy in industry, touch the banking system, touch the university, they destroy it. And I don't know it's I don't know what percentage is incompetence and, and sheer meanness, nihilism, but they're very dangerous people. If there's anybody out here listening and you thought that you're a never Trumper and you voted for Joe Biden and you didn't understand that he was an empty vessel that was a tool of the Sanders, Elizabeth Warren the Obama squad nexus to present a false veneer that he was old Joe Biden from the 1970s or 80s. It was a moderate. And then you're culpable because that was obvious. And if you ever vote for this guy again or these people, then you're doubly culpable because yeah. you're you're I don't know, you're fooling the bonfire of the United States. Well, Trump said it when with his acceptance speech for the Republican uh, nomination. It, this was a Trojan horse. Joe Biden's a Trojan horse, and he has proven to be a Trojan horse. So a nasty yes, Trojan he's horse. A, yeah, that's a very that's a very, that's a very good adjective. He's this is that's very everybody should realize he is not a nice person. He is a mean sob. He is a racist. He cannot finish the sentence. He's already, as president, called two African-Americans boy. When he was running, he called an African-American a junkie. He called another, you ain't black. He said that Barack Obama was the first black man that could basically 
was clean and and everything about him has been illiberal and and just bad and so it's not just that he's non compos mentis now he was always this way yeah saint patrick's day he came out and said i may it may not be irish because uh i don't drink and i don't have any relatives in jail he just can't help but want to insult people it's uh he always he always insults people yeah. he does it all the time he said remember i may be a white boy but i'm not stupid and he's uh the thing about it all is when he starts yelling about the rich and they don't pay their fair share and he's sitting on this multi-million dollar uh family syndicate extortion team that has extorted millions of dollars and the homes that he has and the lifestyle that he enjoyed are not explicable by his salary or his pension or his speaking fees and he's gotten a complete exemption so far but he's got a rendezvous with with nemesis well let's Just like you can see fauci if, because right. of these hearings that are going to go on they right. all have eventually they have a rendezvous with nemesis and he's he's and what they're doing brick by brick as they tear down this edifice of protocol and rule of law they're inviting retribution because once you start indicting former presidents and once you start impeaching them twice and once you start trying them in the senate as private citizens and once you start that and you take the house and you start not allowing people to serve in committees that have been nominated by the minority leader and you and you set these presidents and they boomerang back because if the republicans can get their act together and win the senate and it looks like they've got a good chance in two years and they can get a, a good candidate then they're going to unload on these people and they should know that yeah victor um you mentioned the crime syndicate i think i might have said something similar at the beginning of the show and let's talk about uh biden and moolah coming up right after this important message <laughs> Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to remind our listeners, especially if you're new, that Victor's official home on the Internet is VictorHanson.com. And Victor writes a lot of exclusive articles for his website. They're called Ultra. By the way, the, the name of the website is The Blade of Perseus, and there's an app for it, too. You may want to search for that on on uh, whatever app store you, you use. But anyway, to read... These pieces you must subscribe. 
And that's $5 of, uh, to get in the door, $50 uh, discounted for a year. And that's victorhanson.com. So please do check that out. Victor, the House Oversight Committee, um, or late this past week, uh, has come across documents and evidence that uh, Biden uh, family associate, a business associate, Robert Walker, uh, received $3 million from some Red China energy company and sent over a million dollars of that $3 million in incremental payments to uh, various Bidens. One was um, uh, Hunter, Uncle Jimmy, uh, Hallie, who I, th- I think is the sister-in-law of, or Bo's, Bo's um, widow, and Biden. The last one was Biden. Un- un- no first name. Uh, this fam and this is this these payments. I think the payment from China came two months after uh, Joe Biden term ended as vice president. So uh, maybe Victor, there's more of this coming. Your thoughts about this House Oversight Committee and what it's uh, digging up? This is the first real disclosure that shows that there are all of these people in the Biden circle and Hunter Biden himself. I think his cut was about six hundred thousand got money from a Chinese source. And for what we don't know, I think James Biden got a third of a, I don't know what he got. He got a third of a million dollars. And this is just a minor, this is the first document, but this is just scratching the surface, but it's the first pretty hard evidence. And there's going to be more of it. And this is going to raise a political question among the left and the Democrats. And that is, are these disclosures valuable? Or are they dangerous? And that by valuable, I mean, is this a way of getting Joe Biden off the ticket? Or you can't get Joe Biden off the ticket because you've got Kamala Harris. And then they weaken the top of the ticket because they show him what he is. He's a crook. He's always been a crook. And that'll be an interesting question to see how they're going to react to it because, um, Everything about it, you know, I know that the widow of Bo, I think, didn't she only get something like 25000 And then that was sorted when when Hunter left his wife and then started to have a physical relationship with the widow of his own brother. But That's then she got she Really got creepy. Really but creepy. But she, she was in on it. She was getting money. And what's the common denominator? Can anybody tell us what the Biden family was doing for the money they were receiving? Did they have a company? Did they make widgets? Were they financial advisors? Were they drafting joint oil production projects where their legal expertise was necessary? What did they do other than say to a bunch of Ukrainians and Russians and Chinese, hey, my dad, my brother, my uncle is vice president of the United States, and he's kind of a crook. So if you want to meet with him, uh, and he's got a lot of foreign aid that he disperses, and he's got a lot of uh, influence with corporate America, his donor class, then we want this amount of money. And I can't think of much else they did. And then when Joe was in that critical period, from 2017 during the Trump four years, that's when he really went to town, at least for the first two years before he was worried about becoming a candidate. So in 2017, uh, 17, 
in 2018, he, they were still at it. And the left knows all that. This is a weird topic, Jack, because we listen to the left and they act like cultural Marxists and they fool us. But they are the party of the grasping and the elite and the money hungry. Here in California, I don't want to go off topic too much, but we have Gavin Newsom who made calls to people in the Biden administration to make sure that the Silicon Valley Bank was bailed out. He did not disclose that he had three companies that had sizable multi-million dollar holdings in the Silicon Valley Bank. He did not disclose that his wife was given her charity, quote unquote, that pays her enormous salary, was given money from the Silicon Valley Bank. He did not disclose that his personal banking is with, all he said is it's with a trust. And he talks to the trust people, obviously, all the time, or he wouldn't have made that phone call. And yet this is a guy who tells us that we're racist, we're sexist, we're going to pay for abortions for people to be, if they have to come all out of state, we're going to give $500 million to illegal aliens during COVID, where he supports reparations. And this is what I think all of our listeners are so bewildered, that these people talk about redistribution and taking from the wealthy and giving to the poor. And this whole Marxist ideology is coming out of the mouth of very, very wealthy people. And the, the, it's not the subtext. The overt message is, screw you, lower middle class idiot. You didn't make it like I did. So I've got enough money that I don't mind paying these taxes. And I don't mind redistributing your money. Because right. it doesn't affect me. Because when I have all my money and my bank's threatened, I just call a guy up because I'm Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden. I'm, I'm Joe Biden on one end and I'm Gavin Newsom on the other. And we can do whatever we want. And that's what gets people really angry. That's the one common denominator about all these issues are these very, very wealthy people who have all of these agendas and it never affects them. So they're all talking about Ukraine and we're going to give all this money and Janet Yellen's going to fly over there and the performance art or I'm giving you $10 billion. Okay, Janet, how about just some money for the East Palestine people in Ohio? Right. It just, it just. Well, let's talk about that a little, Victor. You said you didn't want to go off, but I think it's appropriate with the bank. And uh, first of all, I plead ignorance as I should on most things that Biden with with what a magic wand uh, removed the federal law for the federal deposit insurance up to 250,000 now everyone's covered i mean that's a massive thing that is I, it's I, like staggering action i know and there's only 170 billion dollars in the fund it doesn't have very much at all it can't even cover some of these banks one bank and so when he said it's not coming out of the tax powers they're, they're going to charge a percentage deduction went for depositors or they're going to have to come out of the general revenue because they don't have enough money in, in the fund to guarantee these these people and it's it is incredible well the suckers and, are going to pay for it. the suckers you know you're talking about make marxist uh, not illusions comparisons it is so dead on we are the kulaks we, uh, there are re real important parallels between what's going on here and what happened in the Soviet Union. 
and it's hatred for the kulaks bleed them dry take all their food it's it's staggering it is and and you know when you when you look at all of this you can say on the one hand kimberly strassel has an article in the wall street journal and a lot of people opposed it but her point was that uh, we know what caused it these people in silicon valley uh were flushed with COVID cash and the zoom culture was making people very wealthy and these these tech concerns were banking their money there and they were getting very little interest um and and the bank wanted to have i guess a stable supply so they were buying government bond, government bonds that paid them about percentage and a half maybe two percent and that was fine as long as you you know you didn't have inflation and high interest rates but when inflation and high interest rates went up two or three things happened these people in silicon valley startups couldn't make it because they're laying off people and their economy is going into a nosedive so a they weren't making as many loans and b the depositors were wanting competitive rates so they were wanting four or five six percent and when there was not a lot of income coming in and most of their money they had on hand was tied up and would have to be sold at a loss because it was only getting one and a half percent two percent it wouldn't even and they had to pay out i don't know what it would be four to six percent they were in a cash crunch i guess they'd still be okay as long as they didn't have a wonderful life run on you know the savings and loan and a wonderful life kind of scenario but they did and so kimberly pointed out that the behind all of this was that these people were not sound bankers that they were social justice warriors that their right. view of, of how to bank was that either we're going to loan money out to these startups because they're green or they hire diverse people or are risk assessment people uh, is the first risk assessment person for the bank was i guess she was gay and a person of color and female we had to hear that and then we were told they gave how many millions of dollars to blm right. and uh, these and you know the, the left said well that doesn't matter it was just they were caught yeah it does matter because it does show you that the people who were running that bank were idiots you don't tie up all of this money at a very low interest thinking that's always going to be low interest when the people you voted for are printing five trillion dollars and there's a supply crisis and the infl anybody doesn't know what was going to happen with inflation you and i in this show talked about me trying to go into get romex wire to rewire my house and I have a one roll in the barn from three years ago. It's $33. I go home to Home Depot. It's $175. And that inflation then went on. And what happened? Yellen and all and all the people at the Fed said, oh, it's moderate. It's transitory. And when it wasn't moderate and transitory, they freaked out. And they raised interest rates at a faster rate than we've ever experienced. And all of a sudden, Mr bank depositor said you know what i'm going to get i'm not going to go play around with real estate real estate's crashing it's not selling and maybe i don't have the expertise but i either going to get out and try to sell now before it crashes or i'm going to get out of the stock market because I, you can't really beat five or six percent guaranteed money 
And so I want that. And when that bank said, how in the hell am I going to pay five or 6% interest when all of our money's tied up at one or two? And the loans that might give us seven or 8% aren't there. And, but behind all of that dilemma was the idea these people were not competent because they had interest and concerns that were not financial. They were social and they were, I don't know, environmental. They were, you know, ESG or. Right. Well, they weren't up to being, they, they weren't, there was hardly anyone on the board who had real chops when it came to, to banking. Uh, uh, one guy, right? One guy was a wine. I, it's not. It's not to say uh, people with non-banking jobs shouldn't be on the boards of, of banks. You know, we've had enough of expertise. But honestly, I think there was just one guy who. who no, I mean it was like the Theranos board, uh, Elizabeth Combs that collapsed. You look at the people aboard. The I knew some of. Them. They all had one thing in common. They knew blank, blank about her Edison medical testing device miniaturized device to take a couple of drops of blood and give instant readout. They had no scientific background. They did not, they were not medical people. They were on that board for one reason. They were marquee names and some of them had a lot of money. And the point was that they were going to be able to lure, lure, lure investors into that company. And that's why the people go on that board. And, you know, this whole environmental, I guess I don't quite understand it. I, environmental social corporate governance it's basically this faint guy and blackrock and they're the biggest they've convinced everybody that they're going to warp the capitalist market so supply and demand and the rules of capitalism are not going to be fully implemented or active because you're going to spend money that doesn't make environmental sense it doesn't make financial sense on green projects so if you want to make a solar farm out in the San Joaquin Valley of California and somebody tells you, well, wait a minute, we have an excess of electricity produced in the day, but we don't have enough at night. So why would you want another one of these farms? And they say, it doesn't matter. It's a good investment because long range, we're going to save the planet. Or you say, you know, if you're PG&E and you're, are hiring people on the basis of their race or United Airlines, you're hiring people. 50% of your new trainees are people of marginalized supposedly backgrounds, but maybe not a Navy flyer that happens to, you know, had eight years of flying in the Navy. And yet you're going to invest in those companies because they're social or corporate governance. The certain corporations will protect Disney. So, Disney may not be doing very well, but you know what? They have a good trans policy, so you're going to invest in them. That's not capitalism. That's not what made this country really wealthy. That's socialism. That is commissariat. And everything, I think everybody should realize that everything that the Soviets touched and Russia destroyed Russia, everything and that Mao touched in China destroyed everything that Castro touched destroyed Cuba. I was at a, I chaired a conference, Jack, on military history and contemporary conflict that was devoted to Ukraine uh, the last two days. And I can't disclose because it was off record, but I will say one thing. One person made a, a point 
I won't reveal the point, the context of who the person was, but he said, somebody had mentioned Russia and he said, there is no Russia. There is no Russian of Dostoevsky or Tolstoy or Solzhenitsyn. Right. They don't, it doesn't exist anymore. Everything is, was destroyed by the Soviets and it's a dictatorship. And maybe the czars were tough, but they had enough. The Soviets wiped it out. And there is no Chinese culture like there used to be, a Confucian culture. It was destroyed by the communists. And there is no Latin America, great Cuban writer. They were destroyed. Right. And that's what this woke is doing in the universities. You look at all these. If you're a writer or you're a filmmaker or you're a, cl a classical scholar, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to express yourself. You're not going to be able to pursue your talent. You're not going to be able to paint a, a canvas or you're not going to be able to compose a song unless there's a social commissariat Soviet message in it. And you look at, you can just look at the last five or six Oscar winning movies and look how they did in the box office. Jack, they're not gladiator and they're, right. and they're not, they're not Braveheart. Ben Hur, right. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're not like those movies and they're not, right. you know, Top Gun 2. These are esoteric psycho melodramas. They usually have gay scenes in them or feminist issues or trans issues or race issues or something. But the purpose is not to appeal to a lot of people with a profound message that, you know, in, in Aristotelian sense and say Aristotle's politics that excites our emotion. It doesn't do, that's not the purpose. So it's going to be mediocre because it's geared toward satisfying an unspoken or maybe an explicit now requirement that you have to be woke. And boy, I feel bad for young assistant professors. Every time they're going to apply for a job, they have to fill out a McCarthy I.O. What have you done lately for diversity, equity, inclusion? Right. And if you want to come up for a tenure, if you want to get published in a poetry magazine, if you want to become a young filmmaker. It's you want to be a doctor and we've got to just strangle this woke snake before it strangles us. I mean, it's just it's scary. And that's, that's the subtext. It's more than a subtext behind this bank. Right. Well, you know, Victor, what Mao did with Stalin and the other henchmen there did in the Soviet Union, what Xi is still doing. They destroy civil society. I'm not saying, you know, I work for American Philanthropic or Amphil, and our objective is to strengthen civil society. But the, 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 um, it, without civil society, you just have government and he, and then you have oppression. It was an interesting piece in today's Wall Street Journal about one of the Kagans. I, for, I, I forget which one, Robert or et cetera, but, uh, but he, he wrote a piece about, um, Iraq and, and that uh, Saddam Hussein, one of the things he did was the, he destroyed all civil society, all those institutions. And that's why trying to nation build, uh, 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 you know, uh, restore Iraq, it was impossible. There's just not the fabric there to do it. So this is the real well, risk we face. I, I uh, think it's happening to us. Yeah. I mean, if you walk into San Francisco, what are the hallmarks of civil society? Is it safe? No. Can you park your car without assurance? There was this, this weekend, a CNN producer was doing an interview and hired a security crew to watch her car, and it was still broken into. 
And can you walk down the street without seeing somebody inject, fornicate, urinate, or defecate? No, you cannot do that. I just talked to a visitor. Uh, I had dinner with him Friday night, a very renowned doctor. And he said, that, I said, what was it like when you were in San Francisco? He said, I saw two people defecating. And so, and it's, can you walk uh, around the downtown at night and feel without being assaulted? No. Uh, can you get a permit to do anything? No. Thereafter, is, is your school going to give a competitive education? No. They took it, you know, they, they made a desert and they destroyed civil society. Yeah. And it's sort of the same thing. I was driving home today from Stanford across the great San Joaquin Valley on the west side and and stopped at some communities in which I would make the estimate that maybe 80-90% of them are not legal but of the community. And I saw things, you know, when we're driving across the country that I hadn't seen since my 1950s. As far as, you know, what I'm talking about is a, is a trailer that has Romex strung all over it and six wrecked cars and then some dogs out in front and then just trash everywhere with maybe 30 people living in a compound like that. And the roads have big holes in them. They're, they're not fixing the roads. And it's just, it's kind of like road warrior. It really is a society. And right. I don't know what would take how you would fix it, but you'd have to have somebody who was unyielding. That's when I would listen to DeSantis. He does seem to be unyielding. He doesn't, right. he has a point of view and he's convinced it's the right thing for the state of Florida. He's not going to be intimidated. And part of the problem is that we, is this uh, rhetoric, this, we're going to do this and we're going to, and Trump did a lot of good things, but when he had all of that rhetoric, we're going to do this and this and this, it would have been much better to be very quiet and carry a big stick and just say, you know, the border is going to be problematic. We're going to do our best rather than saying Mexico is going to pay for it. We're going to do it. And just then quietly get on the phone and say, listen, you SOB to the president of Mexico, you either stop the immigration or we're taxing all remittances 10%. That's the first thing. Number two, we're going to build this wall. Number three, we're going to deport 20 million people. They're going to be dumped on your doorstep, just like you dumped them on ours. And number four, we're going to tear those cartels that are bringing billions into your economy, a terrorist organization. They're going to be shut out of all banking. Now, you've got about 60 days to stop it. And then he said, I'm working with the president of Mexico. It's a very problem. Why couldn't he do that? Rather than say, well, we're going to stop it and then not do it. And that's what I think people miss in a politician is just to be very calm, to say that you're doing your best and then do it. And another Joe Biden is, is far worse than Donald Trump on that. Right. He just talks about all these things he's going to do in this bluster. You know, it's all corn pop 24 seven. And he does nothing. Border secure. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to help Ukraine. We're going to do this. It's just, you know, it's just all just ragadaccio, you know. Putin just basically said the other day, hey, might have been in that predator, might have been in Reaper or whatever it was. It might have been international airspace, but we've already declared the special military operation has special rules. So, 
you know, that's what happened. He's a, he's a hero. And so what it would be, it'd be very, it would have been much quieter, you know, just to, if you believe in deterrence, you would then do something to Putin. And that might be, I'm not a, a fan of getting involved in Ukraine any more than we are, but you could do something to Putin or Huderman and then not talk about it. Just not talk about it uh, and see what he does. Just, you yeah. know, and speed up a, a shipment of, of Abrams if that was what you want to do. But just understand that he went in there. He went in in the first place because we didn't do anything. And he will do things until he just stopped. And when he stopped, he, he will be a nice thug, but not unless he stopped. And he has contempt for people who don't stop him. But when Biden gives all this tough guy stuff and he doesn't do anything, it's, you know, and I mean, think about it, Jack. He, one of the first things he did when he came in is he told Putin, please don't, don't hack these four entities. If you're going to hack us, don't do these. They're hospitals and stuff. Or, you know what, I wouldn't get mad if Putin, it depends on whether it's a minor incursion or not. And then the Afghanistan, and then we're all supposed to sign up for World War III in Ukraine when you got a president like this. It's not logical. You know, on Afghanistan, Victor, I, I had, I think I might have sent you a link, and I didn't say this ahead of time to raise this issue on this podcast, but there was some congressional testimony this past week by a general warning that uh, it, it, with the growth of of a reemergence of ISIS in Afghanistan, now hundreds of American lives, uh, whether you know diplomats and or workers and uh, abroad, uh, he believes hundreds of American lives are are at risk. But it could be much more. I, I must say, I didn't. I just saw the headlines. But this is this is tough guy Joe Biden's actions are are now putting Americans at risk again, nothing to do with Afghanistan. I mean, excuse me, nothing to do with Ukraine. So no, uh, I, I mean, I saw that. And, uh, I think his name was it Corilla. He said that, uh, there's a major, he was a two-star general and he said that we're six months away from, from really big trouble. And if, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he had a, he had a distinguished career, as I remember him, in uh, in Iraq, and uh, as a colonel. Well, uh, that was another. That was Eric. Uh, I think it's the same one. You know, he was a he was a uh, war hero in Iraq. There was a lot of people that wrote incredible stories about it, what he did in combat. But he warned us if it's the same guy, and I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't. But he was warning us that Afghanistan is in a well, and I guess that the thing I would say, Jack, is why wouldn't it be? We left them with billions of dollars of weaponry. Right. Yeah. We we fled. We left our friends and the Afghan government and military there to be. There's still Westerners there. And this Michael Carrillo, if it's the same guy that was in Iraq, he's got he's a very tough guy. And. He was one of the most decorated officers in Iraq, and he's, I think he's the head of CENTCOM, and uh, he basically said this Islamic State is ready to, what, in six months attack Europe and Asia? And the weird thing about it was, 
That's exactly what Biden said. Uh, Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan said wouldn't happen. Oh, the Taliban, we're talking. They're not, they're not ISIS. They will keep ISIS out. No, they won't. They'll go to ISIS and say, give us some money and we'll give you a chunk. You know, we'll rent you a chunk of Afghanistan like we did bin Laden. That's exactly what they're going to do. They hate our guts. They hate us yeah. from the day they get up to the morning they go to bed. They hate everything I, about us. They're medieval, yeah, I, medieval jihadist. They Victor, I, I, doubt, they I downplayed what he said, by the way. It is General Michael Carrilla. And he, he didn't say hundreds. He said hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens are going to be vulnerable in the next six months. It's so, wow, so discouraging. Well, I, yeah, and... And uh, there was a, you know, there was a uh, a series of stories about him. And I think I'm pretty sure that, and I, I, I'm, I know our listeners are going to say, you know, uh, maybe you're, you've got the wrong guy, but I'm pretty sure that he was in, uh, he went into the, he went into Panama, he went into Haiti, he went into Kosovo, he went into Bosnia, he went into the Gulf War. And he's been all over. And I know that when he was in Iraq, he was uh, wounded and he was in Mosul. And there was a, I'm trying to remember who wrote about him, but a very famous journalist was embedded with him. And I mean, the guy was just heroic. He, he was a lieutenant colonel. He fought side by side. So this is one of the most experienced. Uh, maybe, maybe it's Michael Young. Young Michael Young. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote a whole series of dispatches. I wrote about it, and I think his name was Eric, but his his real name is Michael. Michael Eric Carrillo is a lieutenant colonel, and it was some of the most phenomenal battle dispatches you'll ever read. About fighting head to head with this lieutenant colonel was taking on all of these people. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about. He's fought jihadists his entire life. The only thing I can't figure out is how do he make major general. I mean, he's a two-star general when usually right. people like like that with with battle records like that are passed over because of the bureaucracy and what they, you know, they like to uh, promote woke people, not people that went out and almost got killed fighting for the United States. Right. Yeah. It was a striking thing that you're right that somebody, uh, you would think a guy like like this would have would not have uh, elevated through the ranks of the of the modern army. Hey, Victor, we we have time for one more uh, significant uh, slice of your wisdom, and and I think that should be about Ukraine, and we will get to that right after these final important messages. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. 
Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I apologize to listeners, uh, not only for my stupidity, but if you hear any snoring in the background, it's two dogs that I'm babysitting. So one of them is one of them snoring like an old man. So, Victor, you 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 mentioned you were at this uh, significant uh, uh, gathering uh, this uh, past few days. Um, what can you tell? What can you tell us or uh, about any? wisdom from it or what i can't tell about it did it change your views at all about no, what's going on in, no. in ukraine okay uh, no i may put it this way it didn't change my views but it enlightened my views and it gave me a lot of information that i didn't know about but i think uh generally it confirmed what i thought and what i think is this that while it was good for us to give defensive weapons that turned the tide and allowed Ukraine to push Russia almost back to where it started on February 24th, that there have been about 120,000 Ukrainians and over 200 Russians. And for every Russian dead, there's about 0.6 Ukrainians that are dying. And Ukraine has an original population jack of 40 million, but they have 8 million refugees. And they're able to call up about 700,000 more people, but the Russians are going to call up 200 to 4 million, two, 2 to 4 million. They've got 145 million people. And that's number one. So at some magical date in about 12 months, if this doesn't, if somebody doesn't stop this, the Ukrainians are going to, Ukrainians are going to run out of people. They're going to be slaughtered. If this keeps up. Number two is I really get sick of this stuff of people that I work with and people in this community that keep telling us that Ukraine is winning because they stopped the Kiev. We all want Russia to get out. But why don't you just take a deep breath and do two things? Look at the GDP of Ukraine and the GDP of Russia. It's it's 10 times larger, Jack, in Russia. Let's just look at the population. It's three and a half times larger. Let's look at the territory. It's 30 times larger. The only reason Ukraine is alive is for two reasons. One, they've got very brave defenders. And two, the combined GDP of Europe, which is almost the same thing as the United States. It's about 17 trillion. We're about 22 trillion has been supplying them with about $150 billion of military hardware. But you need people. And two things are happening. That resolve as the economies go into a recession and Europe is short, and this thing doesn't, re doesn't end, and we have a $33 trillion deficit. And other, That's not going to be sustainable for us to give, Jack. That's about the GDP of Ukraine for a year. So Europe, the United States, and mostly the United States are giving them their entire GDP. And how long do the American people want to do that? And I know that everybody got mad at DeSantis for a territorial dispute, but it's a territory and it's a dispute. So that's one thing that you got to be realistic that the strategy of Russia is attrition. They don't care how many people they lose. 
They want. They took all the Wagner Group prisoners, about 20,000. They're dead. And what did they do? They probably killed 5,000 Ukrainians. That was a victory for them. That's how they look at it. They want to destroy the infrastructure of eastern Ukraine. That's number one I took away. Number two, can you think, Jack, of one person? One person. I ask this question of a lot of experts. One major person in the who's in the bicoastal foreign policy establishment who said 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 2020, 2021, 2022. Before Russia went in on the 24th of February, 2021, did anybody say, my God, we've got to get Crimea and the Donbass back? That's our mission. I'm Barack Obama, and this is now, my God, it's been two years in my administration, and they're still in the Donbass and the Crimea. And that's, we got to define victory as getting them out. And then Trump right. came in and his whole team said, we got to get them all out. What, what's happened now? That's the position of the United States and Ukraine, that we're going to get every single Russian out of the territory they stole in 2000. That wasn't the position before. And I understand that positions change during war, but that's, that's not going to happen. Another thing that was a discussed, and a lot of us had made this point, but it was very, I won't say who said it, but it was very well chronicled is, here is Ukraine. In 1939, the Soviet Union and Germany invaded Poland, as you know, and they carved off areas on both ends. And then the war was lost by Germany. And the Soviet Union came back and the Soviet Union said, we're not going to give that back. That's part of Ukraine. And the, the Poles said, well, what do we get? Well, you're going to get some of Prussia to make up for it. The point I'm making is that about a quarter of Ukraine in the West was Polish until 1939. And so whether you like it or not, the idea that Ukraine, Western Ukraine is forever Ukrainian has always been is much less invalid than Russia's claims on the Donbass and Crimea. You may not like it, but it was an 18th century dictum that those were parts of Russia. So when I, what I'm saying is I get really tired of all these people. Oh, oh, Crimea, that's Ukrainian. Yes, it was. It was. And Khrushchev gave it to them. But he gave it to them on the idea that it was part of the Russian Soviet Union. And if you're going to take that logic that you're going to fight to the last Ukrainian, then you're going to have to say, you know what? All the borders don't matter. History does not matter. We're going to get every Russian because this was Ukrainian before 2014. Okay. And before, what are you going to do with Western Ukraine if the Poles say, we want, we want that? You know, we want that back. And then the Poles say, we want that back. It was Polish for a thousand years. And then you get right. uh, Stalin stole it. And then all of a sudden the Germans say, well, if they want it back, East Prussia was German speaking since 1200. We want that back. And so that's another thing to, to keep in mind. The third thing is that, is that you got to be honest what you're willing to do. So, there's a maximalist and a mental. Most people are in the middle. They just want to give Ukraine 
enough to defend itself, but they don't want them to sink the Black Sea fleet or to go into Russia. But all these, my former friends on the neoconservative movement on the left that want to win, you know, they define what is victory. So right. that was a question that came up. And there was a lot of people that are in that school because it was a very diverse group. Every, every type of opinion was voiced. Right. And they were very honest. They were intellectually honest. I really admired them. They said this, that what we're giving them is nothing as far as tanks. They need 1,000 Abrams, 1,000 Jack of these five. They need six or seven billion dollars worth of tanks from us. Right now, 1,000, 200 tanks in a brigade. They want five brigades. Okay. And they need as many F-16s as we can give them so they can conduct bombing raids inside Russia. And they need Harpoon missiles to sink the Black Sea fleet. And I said to one of them in the break, okay, what does Russia do when you do that? Oh, it doesn't matter. We've got, we can shoot them down. I said, so you want to get in a war with Russia over Ukraine? And you're, you're criticizing Ron DeSantis because he said it was a territorial dispute. And when it wasn't worth going to a nuclear standard, but that's what you say it is worth. Well, it's not a territorial dispute. It's about, I said, yes, it is. They're fighting over the Ukraine and Donbass. And so that was the maximum view. They want total victory. And then the minimalist view was, okay, let's just have a ceasefire right now. And I know that Russia will arm to the teeth, but Ukraine can get more arms, and then we will have a discussion about uh, what Russia get. Maybe Russia can just keep on what it had, and then it will be humiliated that it lost two to three hundred of its people. It's ruined its army. It's it's in bad shape, and it didn't get one damn thing more than it had when it started. And somebody's going to say, "Well." Yeah, but Ukraine, Ukraine what? Ukraine has still got all of the Ukraine that it got before February 24th, and it was heroic, and it pushed them back. And that was the minimalist position. And I thought the minimalist position was argued more effectively than the more the majority was for the maximalist position. It wasn't the minimalist position. But uh, I thought that was very realistic that Ukraine is not going to get back the Donbass. It's not going to get back Crimea. It doesn't have the wherewithal to do it. Europe is tiring of it right now. Yeah. And I don't know what the United States is doing, but uh, it it's not going. We're depleting our arsenals. Right. We, we're, we're broke. We've got the border wide open. We had 100,000 fentanyl deaths and we're we're going to give more. We're going to supply the entire GDP of Ukraine forever so while it kills 200, 300, 400. So when this springs, these counter, this spring offensive of Ukraine and the counter offensive, there were some numbers that were, there were some people who were very acquainted with what's on the ground. We're talking about another couple hundred thousand dead. And we may have lost already 300, 350,000 dead. So you're talking about more people that were killed. More people will be dead by summer than were killed. All the Americans that were killed in World War II. This is well, a Victor, 
What do the maximalists say to that, though? I mean, that's a that's a reality. Do they even accept that that's a reality? Yes, or they, they do. Ignore? They do. And that's and they, these they, are the break tough breaks. You know, they say this one. These are the rules are being enforced of a rules based order. That if you don't enforce the rules, Putin are going to are going to go through. They're going to do it to every NATO country. I said he's not going to do it to every NATO country. Because Poland's going to have the biggest army in Europe within a year. They're arming to the teeth. NATO is arming. And the, the Putin will be in no condition to go into a NATO country, no matter what happens. And number two, they say not only will he go into NATO if he's not stopped, but uh, number two, there's no threat, not any threat that he will retaliate when we bomb inside uh russia or we sink his fleet because he doesn't have the wherewithal to do it to us and i said this is not united states 1991 first gulf war where we we were united and we were rearming and we were confident we're not a confident nation we're arguing and we're bitter and number three get this that we're bringing together China, Russia together. Yes. And Iran and North Korea and Turkey. And this is a good thing, Jack, because this is what I'm told. You're going to get them all in one band and then you can all you can crush them. You can all show the world that they're the axis of anarchy. And you're thinking, no, 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 no. Iran is getting enriched uranium from Russia in exchange for its drone factory it's setting up, and it will be protected under the Russian nuclear umbrella while it starts to maybe get hypersonic technology from Russia with bombs, and it's going to go, it, it will send a bomb under to Israel. And then you've got Turkey, who will probably leave NATO, because it's got, this is the future, they think. And their economy is booming right now. They're getting cheap oil. They're selling every arms they can to the Russians. They're importing Chinese technology. They're not even a Western country anymore. They are in league. So I thought that was re was really scary, that idea that put them all together, and then we know what we're dealing with, and we know who's a friend and who's an enemy. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that new axis that we're creating. And what else do they want to do? They think, well, Putin will be humiliated. He's lost. His army is crushed. And we have tried the Russian army. And they will, they're so weak now. And Putin will be so disgraced that guess what, Jack? He's but gone. He'll just say, you know what? I'm Vladimir Putin. I'm kind of old. I quit. And then we're going to get who? We'll probably get an enlightened reformer. I've never seen it happen before in Russia, but that's what some people are thinking. And other people said, wait a minute, are you insane? There's never been a liberal with a politician in the history of Russia. Right. You're not going to you're going to get somebody who's worse than Putin that's going to yes. come in there and he's going to come in there and like, like I'm going to go send a nuke in the United States. And you should take the nuclear saber rattling seriously. And we don't hate the Russian people. So we want to split Russia from China.
We want to split Iran from Russia. We want to split Turkey from China and Russia. We don't. We want them scattered. We don't want them to coalesce. That's insane. So there was this was this went on for a whole day. It was very exciting to watch. But I came away with it with the feeling that all of us, I think, majority are in the. I don't know what Trump says when he says he's going to negotiate in 24 hours, but I think he's a little bit more yank everybody out. But I think DeSantis, if you read carefully, it's we're only going to plot supply defensive arms and we're going to tell them how we're, they're going to be used. And we're not going to give them F-16s. We're not going to give them harpoon missiles. They're not going to sink the Black Sea fleet. They're not going to go attack uh, a Russian sea base or a Russian airfield or blow up Russian or to, and that's just the way it's going to be. And so uh, it depends on Zelensky what he's defined. He's defined victory as every single Russian right. out of Ukraine. And this is what a lot of people said, including myself, is that, yes, that's his country. And yes, he has to make that decision. But he can't make that decision without the United States because we give him the stuff to do it. And so all of a sudden in the year, God's year 2023, the new position of Ukraine is every Russian has to be out. That wasn't the, that wasn't 2021 to 2014. And now he's saying, okay, America, they invaded us. And now that gave me an opportunity to change my mind. And I want to get all that area back that I never really thought I could ever get back before. And you're going to give me the wherewithal to do it. And these are my war aims. And I'm not going to have a ceasefire or anything that doesn't include Ukraine. And, and as I said, right. And then who pays for who pays for for rebuilding Ukraine, (laughs) the people of East Palestine, where they're choking and can't breathe. Hey, everybody in East Palestine, you're supposed to continue to just be spat upon by the federal government. And all of you people do that. And then all of you people who are paranoid about your savings, just keep going. That's not a problem. All you poor Mexican-American families that live on the Rio Grande, you're being overwhelmed by foreign invaders. All you people that you're scared because the president of Mexico said that he wants everybody to vote Democratic and he has 40 million people in the United States and he's tired of what we're doing. That's okay too. And if you're a parent of a fentanyl kid that went to a party and he thought he was taking, I don't know, he thought he was taking Xanax and it turned out to be a fake Xanax pill that was fentanyl, that's his problem. That's that's the attitude. We're supposed to pay for this. And I just don't, I don't know. I was very surprised that there were these people. I mean, they were some of the most gifted people. I, I, I direct it, but it, all I say is I want conflicting opinion. I don't want orthodoxy. I want heterodoxy. And I want right. excellence. Excellence. I want excellent people in the military. I don't care what how they're treated by the military, but I want from their publications and their careers, I want the best. I want the best military historians. I want the best uh, analysts. I want the best financial people. And they were all there at once. And it was just amazing to watch these people. And Victor, what's the name of this overall project? And we know that Strategica is the publication arm of. of, Yeah, we can talk about this issue. We just did one on tanks next time. Yeah, but but, uh, what what do you oversee? Yeah, go ahead. It's called the Military History Working Group. And the formal title is Military History and Contemporary Conflict. 
So what we're trying to do in every discussion of a crisis today is not to get into the 24-hour news cycle with these ignoramuses, but to try to talk about prior historical exemplars. So every time this a question, and I would call on a person, the person would reference the Spanish Civil War or the Crimean War or the Chechen uprising or the demographic. It was all data-driven. There wasn't just bullshit. And that was what was so good about it, you know. And when one person with a PowerPoint pointed out what he had different sizes of Ukraine, and Ukraine does not look like Ukraine at all in 1938. It doesn't, the Russian Ukraine doesn't look like it does now. It was much smaller, and Poland looks enormous, you know, uh, in exchange. And the people in Western Ukraine were, there were not. Ukrainian speakers. And so for everybody to say that in the 20th century, Khrushchev gave Crimea, you know, he gave Crimea to Ukraine, and then they gave up the Donbass to another federation. And at that time, it was like a state of the United States, in the sense that they never in their right mind thought the Soviet Union was going to be broken up, right? So when they gave it to Ukraine, that was just a stop to stop Ukrainian nationalism because they knew it was part of Russia. But by the same token, they stole. <laughs> they also gave to Ukraine. I mean, they didn't want to help Ukrainians by stealing Poland after as part of the shakedown of the allies when they said, yeah, we were on the wrong side. Yeah, we helped Hitler start World War Two. Yeah, the molotov ribbentrop thing that was bad idea yeah what we we invaded poland for no reason yeah we stole all that land you know what screw you we're not giving it back if poles feel bad they've lost their territory you go steal it back from the nazis because they invaded they invaded in the west and you got to give all that back and you've got to give prussia too and that's what happened and so for all of us to say hmm ukraine's by it well ukraine is a fluid entity. It expanded and contracted. And if you want to go back and find a, mo a magical moment in history where you have equality and fairness, good luck. But I don't know whether it's 39 or 45, 46 or 60 right. something when Khrushchev did it or 2014 when, when he invaded or 2000, you, you name it. But this idea that Lorenzi is going to go, what is defense minister on to Red Square? On to Red Square. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Victor, that's it's tremendous uh, observations here uh, on, on Ukraine and everything else you talked about today. We've, we're at, we're about out of time here. Uh, th thank you for everything. Thank our listeners uh, for listening. I want to encourage them to visit, uh, if you don't mind, civilthoughts.com. And when you go there, it's very simple. You can sign up for the free weekly email newsletter I write for the Center for Civil Society at AMPhil. It's called Civil Thoughts, and I give over a dozen recommended readings. Here's the link. Here's some excerpts, things I've come across in the previous week. We don't sell a list. Uh, there's, there's nothing transactional here. So uh, it's just uh, stuff I think you'd like to read. So that's civilthoughts.com. I know many people have signed up and are enjoying it. And I thank you for that. Uh, to those who um, listen on to the podcast through Apple, 
or iTunes. Thank you very much. Thanks to everybody, no matter where you listen, but you can leave comments and ratings on uh, uh, Apple. Zero to five stars. Most people do leave five stars. We thank them for that. Some leave comments. Here's one. And last week we we talked about the Gary Owen, the which is the theme song of this podcast. It's also the theme song of the Fighting 69th. And uh, this one was titled Theme Song. Uh, please keep the Gary Owen march. I look forward to hearing it every time I listen to the show. Thank you, Victor, for sharing your wisdom on so many things. Your fans in Montana, Fran T1Q. Thank you very much, Fran T1Q. For that, Victor, thank you for, again, for the great uh, thoughts you shared here today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back soon with another episode of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you, everybody. appreciate it. See you next time.